This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle. I'm going to be joined in just a moment by my co-host, Brian Solomon. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, not exaggerating to say uh, one of the biggest stories, potentially, uh, of our time uh, is the latest uh, developments uh, with Vince McMahon. Uh, we talked a bit about it with Dan Murphy in uh, the most recent episode of the podcast, and uh, since then, um, things have only gotten worse. Uh, more accusations, uh, stories in the news um, about uh, Vince McMahon uh, paying uh, former employees uh, hush money to uh, cover up uh, alleged affairs with them. Uh, Brian and I uh, dig deep into this. We talk about whether this, this could spell um, the end of the McMahon dynasty. Uh, if that's the case, uh, what's next? Um, for WWE, um, whether it is uh, potentially a, a good thing um, for the company to turn the page and also kind of dig into sort of the culture the culture of uh, wrestling and of the McMahons, kind of the dark side of all that, and whether uh, we collectively as kind of the wrestling community are, are complicit in any way uh, in, in letting some of this behavior go uh, unchecked. So uh, a fairly serious conversation. Uh, stay tuned uh, to check it out. Um, it, it's mixed with some less serious stuff, a discussion of, of VHS tapes, uh, of all things, uh, and also um, a little breakdown of uh, the most recent uh, Money in the Bank pay-per-view and the two Money in the Bank winners uh, coming uh, out of that, um, Liv Morgan and Theory, uh, what this potentially means for the trajectory of their career, and also uh, just some discussion on the money in the bank stipulation itself, some of the uh, kind of problems um, that uh, come with with the booking of it, uh, especially when you've got a babyface winner um, cashing in on kind of a vulnerable uh, champion, maybe not the most uh, uh, kind of virtuous uh, behavior uh, by a babyface. So we talk a bit uh, about all that. Uh, staying tuned for that. Uh, right now, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. We are back uh, on track, and the latest issue, which I hold in my hand, the October 2022 issue, is got Thunder Rosa and Jade Cargill, two of the women's uh, title holders in AEW, uh, and uh, the story's about who will rule the roost in AEW. Uh, a fun issue with uh, a lot of great stories inside. This cover, uh, we've gotten a lot of great feedback. Uh, I think, uh, in particular, is really Really a lot of fun. Uh, great work on, on our uh, art department uh, with these two women uh, on the cover. Uh, also inside, we got stories on uh, Cody Rhodes. We've got a, a hot seat interview with Hiroshi Tanahashi. I mean, this was a, a big get for us, uh, for sure, uh, and so much more. Uh, stories on Impact uh, turning 20 uh, on MLW's Clout Couple, uh, Japanese women wrestling, uh, so much more. Homicide, uh, NWA Junior Heavyweight Champion, uh, tons in here. Go check out. It's the October 2022 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It's a good one. You don't want to miss it. Go to pwi-online.com. You can um, order or download right away the digital edition 
uh, of the magazine or order the print uh, version, of course, we encourage you to subscribe, whether it is to the print version or the digital uh, version. It's the, the best way to get a savings, big savings, half off the cover price. Um, either way, go over to pwi-online.com. While you're there, you can uh, find all our social media stuff, uh, merchandise, t-shirts, all of it. One-stop shop is over at pwi-online.com. All right, joining me right now, my co-host, Brian Solomon, who's been very busy making the rounds, promoting uh, your book. Uh, how's how's that uh, been going? Been going really well. Um, I'm, I'm now at the point where I think a lot of people have read it. It's a few months after it came out. So there's this whole wave of, of new podcast appearances and signings and things happening. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. It's actually, I'm going to be at the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame uh, weekend in Albany next month. I'll be, I'll have a table there. Um, there's Wrestle Bash, which is a big convention in Parsippany. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's pretty mm-hmm. new. It, they've got a million people coming there. I'm definitely one of the least important people there, but, <laughs> uh, but I will be there. That's in August too. And CAC and yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's, it's, there's a lot of chic fans out there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I heard you uh, on the Observer with uh, uh, Dave Meltzer, and they seem to love it. And and you know, I think a point that they made with that really uh, you know needs to be said is is uh, it, it's one thing to to write a, a wrestling biography. There's no shortage of those, but uh, you really um, you know you're covering somebody who there's not a lot out there. I mean, it's got to be one of the harder people to compile information about and write about because um of of kind of like the cloak of mystery around him right yeah there was instant regret once i started (laughs) working on it i was like oh this is why there's never been a biography (laughs) i get it now yeah it was like i've said before it was like archaeology it was like you i didn't have the primary sources of people saying what happened i had to just piece it together i mean there was a little bit of interviewing here and there but a lot of it's secondhand or people that knew people and that kind of thing and it's just like i'm just glad that the effort that i put in with the research of it and trying to make it into a coherent story was appreciated because honestly you know that's the only way it gets on the radar of people like a dave Meltzer or you know mike johnson or or jim Cornette, uh, who was really the first to champion the book it's just you have to write you have to at least try to write a really good book because there's so many wrestling books out there. So I'm so grateful that that some of these people have seen fit to, you know, give me the time of day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got it to and I'm working my way through it. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention about your your other in- endeavors was uh, I was listening to uh, your podcast episode with Kevin. I know that was a few episodes uh, ago, but uh-huh. when you got into the discussion of uh, uh, dubbing VHS tapes. I wanted to like jump through my speaker to be part of that conversation because, boy, can I relate. I've got I've got you know boxes and boxes uh, in the basement of, uh, and I was the master man. I could I could have taught a class on on copying VHS tapes. And in fact, when when I first like started working, you know, little little junky minimum wage jobs, one of the first things I, I saved for was. Um, this was like you know the Cadillac of of VCRs, which was. Do you remember these? The the Go Video Double Deck VCR. I sure do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't lucky enough. I just had to connect two machines. You know, yeah. like like most of us weirdos. I had those th- giant, like thick dubbing wires with the big, you know, uh, uh, sure. plugs and everything. It was it was quite an ordeal. And the one of the biggest regrets I ever had was at about 
uh, 12 years ago during a move, I made the decision to get rid of all the dubbed VHS tapes that I had all the, all the wrestling stuff. And I've, I, I have spent the last decade plus trying to track down again, Ah. some of those tapes and I've succeeded. I, I actually was able to get my hands on a few of the ones that I really enjoyed the most. And now what I do is whenever I, I now have a, a VHS to DVD uh, machine and I, I copy them to DVD. DVDs suck. <laughs> I, I, I swear. Um, and, and yeah, I, I can really relate. And um, it, not that it makes me feel good to hear you regret it, but it makes me feel good <laughs> of my decision to ha- have held on for them uh, yes. as long as I have. But um, yeah, I'm a big like VHS nostalgia buff and, and like the, the big uh, sort of like VHS convention every year is in um, in Pennsylvania. I just went to it last week with my kid, VHS Fest. And yeah, these tapes that um, used to sit uh, on the, the shelves of the video stores, and they were like the ones that you just ignored all the time and you paid no mind to, those things sell for a lot of money now. Th- those are um, I know really like like sought after, and who would have known? There's a place, you know, if you love VHS, there's a place here in Connecticut. It's actually pretty damn famous. It's called The Archive, and they're run by Vinegar Syndrome, who are like, they're like these distributors of B-movies, and they have vast amounts of VHS. You, you should check it out. They're in Bridgeport, and it's a free plug for them. But, I mean, like, I, I look through their stuff, and I will see things, and not even just wrestling – that will just trigger a childhood memory of a box cover. I didn't even know what the heck it was, but I saw it 8 million times when my dad would take me to the video store, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're there. I mean, they have incredible stuff. I picked up something. (laughs) This is a tangent, but I'll do you one better. I picked up something on Betamax. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's one thing I've never had. I have a couple of Betamax tapes, but I never had a player. I have never had a Betamax player in my life, and in my 47 years, this is the first Betamax tape I've ever bought, but it's non-wrestling related. It was something I could not pass up, and I found a conversion service, and it's going to cost me a shameful amount of money, (laughs) but I'm going to convert it to DVD so I could actually watch it. I bet there's a low tech way to do that. I mean, first, just buy a, a beta a Max player. I bought two VCRs last week from a guy uh, out here on Long Island. Neither worked. Uh, well, um, yeah, I would imagine if I bought, if I could find a Betamax player online, which I know I can, there probably is a way to hook it up to my DVD burner that, that I have right. if I really wanted to. But here's the thing. I'm never going to want to do this again. I mean, the odds of finding another Betamax tape somewhere. <laughs> so for the cost of what it's going to cost me to convert this one tape, I, it probably would be about the same as buying the Betamax player online. Honestly, <laughs> I, I've got, uh, I think, one Betamax tape, and it's uh, the best of WWF volume one. Uh, and I have no <laughs> That's way. That's a great one. It. Yeah. Uh, they're selling that on VHS at, at VHS Fest. And, and another thing, kind of a similar story. Uh, years back, I, I bought a bunch of these like a WF collector series uh, tapes that I had never seen before. Um, and uh, they arrive. I pop them in the, the, the VCR and they don't work because apparently they're like European. So it's the different. Mm. What are PAL. we? PAL and their NTSC yeah. or the other way around. Yeah, uh, we're and that's NTSC. One thing I've never been able to, to convert. There are services for that, too, I discovered, because the archive has some PAL tapes, and there were things that I found there that were too good to pass up that I that I wanted. But the, even just to mail it away and have it converted um, is is worth it to me. It's worth it to me. Yeah. But I've had, I've had those experiences. I picked up, uh, speaking of Best of the WWF Volume 1, I found it at the archive, the clamshell box and the whole thing. 
I flipped. I came home and it would not play. Every oh, now really? and then you get one that's that's just it's been it's aged poorly. Maybe yeah. there's heat damage or mold or whatever. It just would not play. It just was stuck in the player and I had a I it broke my heart, but I had to throw it away. Uh, yeah, I, they had one on sale and I passed it up. I, I mean, they weren't asking that much, but I just, I don't know, uh, was it a mood to spend that money? But you know what, what's another, uh, we're in such a tangent now, but, um, <laughs> you know, you talk about like throwing out all these tapes that, that you've recorded and, and, um, I think of the the effort uh, I made over the years recording wrestling off of TV to edit out commercials, right? You know, and that yes. was uh, if if you were really uh, on the the ball, you would you know you'd be there by the pause button and edit out commercials. And actually, with the the Go Video, the double deck, there was a way to sort of automate it that it would. I mean, it, you still had to do it uh, manually, but you kind of enter the cues, the time cues, and it would take them out um, for you. And uh, now you realize like that's the best stuff is, <laughs> I know. is the commercials because that's like what makes them these time capsules, right? Is when they go to commercials and you have these uh, authentic commercials from the, the 80s and 90s. And I remember the first time I went to one of these VHS conventions years ago, there was a guy who had a, a whole uh, a table and that's what he called it. They were VHS time capsules. Um, and what they were were uh, movies. So you'd have Back to the Future or Jaws or whatever, but they were as shown on TV. So it was like the Sunday night movie of the week on ABC or something, a back to the future with all the original commercials. And he was selling them for a small fortune. I have, I have a lot of, I did keep a lot of my VHS tapes for some reason. I think it might've been when I left WWE and I was just like, ah, screw all this wrestling that, but, but a lot of the VHS that I taped back in the eighties and nineties, um, I did keep, I have a lot of movies and things and I would, I would be the guy I would be editing out the commercials. And <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Too. You're right. I have a handful where I, the commercials are in. And those are so precious to me. Yeah. It's so true. My uncle gave me this. They used to show, all right, every Easter on network TV, they would show the Jesus of Nazareth miniseries. If people remember, it was like 10 hours long, like no joke or eight or something like that. And he recorded this thing. And my uncle was an older man. He didn't really know how to cut the commercials out. And he, <laughs> he gave me the tape. And that thing is now a treasure because it's eight solid hours of NBC primetime network television. Yeah. And it has all the commercials. And it's from, I think, 1985. And yeah. it's it's incredible. Like I, It actually started to go on me. And I transferred it all over to DVD, which is insane to think of. Because it's if I really want to watch that miniseries, I can find it. It's available anywhere. But I specifically wanted to transfer that taping because I would get all the commercials. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go on YouTube sometimes just when you're sort of bored at home and seek out just the 80s commercials. And there are people who upload hours and hours and hours of them. And, and it's funny. This is all the stuff that we were cutting out. And, and yeah, that's the goal. That's the best stuff. That's what takes you back to to your childhood so uh yeah uh, a lot of fun and it, it, this is just like such a fun topic uh for me uh to go to and i think part of it was like the pandemic when we were all like locked down just digging through all tapes and and um uh, yeah just kind of reliving my childhood uh anyhow uh speaking of of, of my childhood we both grew up uh, uh with vince mcmahon a huge part of our life he he has been uh a lot of ways kind of the face the figure in wrestling and uh, he is in the news these days as much as he has been a long time um for for all the wrong reasons you know it's funny the the, the next i guess this next issue of of the magazine um something i've been working on with kristen is the pwi poll and there's that one question 
that's like one of these staple questions and and it is you know who uh, is the who are the most influential who's, who's the most influential person in wrestling other than Vince McMahon and and it and it speaks to like him really always having been on a a level different than everybody else um and you know the last episode here of the podcast and we were on here with uh, Dan Murphy the the story had had just broken at the time of these allegations by uh, a former paralegal. Oh, I should I should clear that up. I don't think allegations were coming from her. There's an investigation that uncovered uh, right. these allegations of of him paying, um, you know, what people are calling hush money uh, after they had a sexual affair. Uh, he stepped down um, as CEO and, and chairman. Um, Stephanie um, taking his place, I guess, at least on a temporary basis. And since then, it's just gotten worse. Um, Wall Street Journal uncovered uh, several more uh, allegations um, from female, uh, former female employees just in the last few years. And I, and I wrote down what the figure was, but it, it's many more millions uh, of dollars. I think it's 14 million, I think. Yeah. To how many women was it? 11 women total? Uh, I got it here. So 12 million for women uh, over 16 years. Uh, so, and that, right. I mean, think 16 years, that doesn't even go back that far enough. He was running WWE for a lot longer than that. Um, so when when we talked, uh, you, you and Dan um, were a lot more convinced uh, than than I was that um, this could have real consequences for Vince McMahon. That that this could essentially be his downfall. Um, you know, I, I've just always seen him as kind of being this this Teflon uh, uh, ruler of WWE. That that I don't know that, that I could see it. But but now with all these coming forward, even I have a hard time seeing how he um survives this uh so uh, more than even a couple weeks ago when we when we spoke do you think this is the beginning of the end of the mcmahon dynasty yeah i do and i don't think and i want to be clear on this i don't think that you know we're talking about this isn't like the steroid trial where vince is looking like you know he might go to jail or this kind of thing i think it's more of a thing of he's just going to kind of disappear I just don't think it's that anyone with a head on their shoulders in that company that people like Nick Khan, board members and that, that, especially with a big sale pending, you know, which looks to be the case. Um, they just don't want that kind of press. They don't want somebody like that um, kind of muddying the waters and the fly in the ointment, whatever cliche you want to use. And, you know, even though he's the majority owner, there are still ways of doing this. You know, there are ways of applying pressure there. And I just think and I think his recent appearances on TV have been like raging against the dying mm -hmm. of the light kind of a thing <laughs> that's been going on uh, in classic Vince McMahon fashion. Uh, but I think in, and, you know, a big turning point for me even is now with some allegations of uh, from actual female talent, yep. not just corporate employees, not saying that they're more important people. But then you run into a situation where you're thinking of the people, the wrestlers that work there and how they look at their boss and especially it's the casting the, couch, right? The female talent. If I'm a, if I'm a young woman and I'm looking to wrestle and get into WWE and not that wrestling has ever been, you know, this wonderful lollipops and roses paradise. But I'm thinking like, wow, um, do I want to be another one of these statistics? You know, like that that kind of thing is very real, where I think there's probably been a lot of talent there that have looked askance at Vince for a very long time. But 
there's nothing they could do about it because he's the man. And if you want to be in this industry, you have to keep your mouth shut if you want to work for this guy. And, you know, the minute the tide starts to turn on this, which it seems to be now where people get more confidence to be able to talk and to be able to say what they feel and maybe not just fall in line, that's when the dominoes fall. And that's when someone like this loses their greatest ability, which is the power of control. And so that's like it, it's just um, – that is a big turning point. I don't think you can come back from. Yeah. You, you touched on it. You said how, how you think he's just going to go away. But at the same time, he's sort of seems more emboldened and defiant uh, than ever. And, and yeah. you know, ra- rather than kind of go hide somewhere, we, we've been seeing him on TV more. Um, and, you know, that shouldn't come as a surprise. This is Vince McMahon. Um, he, he is defiant. He sees himself as the hero of his own story um, uh, very often. So how do you reconcile the two? I mean, on, on one hand, right, this is this is a publicly owned um, a corporation. And so uh, you've got to think there's only so much tolerance from investors, the board of directors, uh, sponsors uh, to, to these kind of allegations, this kind of, uh, of scandal. But at the same time, I just don't see a situation where Vince McMahon leaves willingly. Right. Uh, You know, but the pressure builds. And I mean, can you imagine? I don't know. I don't follow this as closely as I should. But what the next stockholders phone call or meeting is is, will look like. I don't know if it's already happened, but the kind of chaos and and uh, uh, anger even that that you can imagine would be growing and the attentions from the outside world, the business world. Um, I think a big factor will eventually be if you run into a situation, which is very possible where you have a big suitor like, uh, you know, Disney, Fox, Warner media, whatever, whatever it may be, Viacom that comes calling and says one of two things, if a sale is going to be happening and they say, yeah, we're, we're looking to buy, here's our condition. No Vince. Yeah. You know, if Vince is a part of this, we're not buying. If that happens or if the worst thing happens where you actually have a sale that goes out the window because of that, where they say we were going to go through with this, we're not now because of all this. That's when I think even for Vince, when you're talking about billions of dollars changing hands, including to Vince himself, uh, that becomes um, a game changer in terms of pressure that I think not even Vince could withstand. Yeah, I mean, it's it would come down to what he values um the most and in as much as this is a family business um theoretically Vince McMahon's children grandchildren great-grandchildren should be set up for life um if if you you ran this the right way and making the wrong decision here right, right. doesn't just take the money off off your table it it impacts generations of of McMahon's. um b- but all that said first of all what does it mean for Vince McMahon um, to to go away, there is the kind of public disappearing. You're, you're you're out as CEO, out as chairman. You have no public role. But certainly, as long as um, Stephanie is there and uh, uh, Paul Levesque is there, and he has uh, th- those channels to have influence, he is always going to be essentially in charge. He's going to be the the most influential person in WWE and and um in wrestling for that matter 
whether or not not his name, um, you know, is on the door uh, or not. Right. So do you think that what we're going toward is sort of, uh, again, a, a public removal? Not that far, you know, separated from where we are right now, where officially he's out of power, but he remains an influence because his family's still running things. Or are are we now moving towards a, a divorce uh, between WWE and the McMahon family? Well, there's two things on this. First of all, we don't know if this Stephanie thing is really and truly an interim where it's like a, an emergency stopgap where she does this until they figure something out, in which case it's really just a stay of execution until you have like a corporate big wig kind of running the company or somebody that's not part of the McMahon family. Or is this more like a power play where Stephanie and Hunter are trying to put themselves back into position? We don't know that. Um, so, so that's something to think of whether it's temporary or not. And also as far as the Vince aspect, um, you're right. As long as the McMahons are involved in some way, he will still be in some way, um, influential. However, I think what we're looking at is an official removal where like, for example, I think this thing where he's still part of creative, I think that's sort of like a slow removal of the bandaid because I think that's coming eventually too. But what I think would happen is he's no longer affiliated in any official capacity. And that includes like, I don't think he'd really be showing his face even at TV and that sort of thing, but he, it, it almost be, and I, <laughs> I hate to make this comparison. It's just so obvious, but also it's not the most flattering, but it's like a mob boss who's in prison mm -hmm. where he's still running the syndicate, but not officially. He's not making public appearances. He's doing it from prison. He's doing it through other people uh, where it's that kind of a thing. Um, I think that might be what the future holds, at least for as long as the McMahon family is involved. But but sponsors and uh, investors, I, I would think, wouldn't even go for that, right? I mean, right, what, they when, wouldn't go for that. So it would have to be this sort of like uh, deep state kind of thing. Where, yeah, I mean, it, it, to much lesser uh, uh, sense, it, it reminds me of when uh, Dixie Carter was sort of had that that back channel. Um, working relationship with Vince Russo because he, he didn't want people to know that Vince Russo was was still uh, writing the product. Um, and once it came out, it it was like this real toxic uh, bit of news. So I just can't imagine that that could be kept a secret. Um, so um, I, I do think that it would get to a point that uh, sponsors, investors um, would want a clean break. And, and I don't know uh, how you get there. I don't know if it's, uh, and some of it is just my ignorance about, you know, the business world, but is it a matter of, of buying them out? Um, I, I just, I, I, I can't ever see Vince McMahon, uh, leaving quietly. Uh, right. and I also, and, and some of this, and, and I want to talk more about this, but some of it is like being in the wrestling bubble and I include us, you, you, you sort of forget that like the rest of the world doesn't work this way. And you think about how many um, uh, CEOs and, and heads of big giant corporations have been brought down for so, so much less. That's uh, the thing. Yeah. yeah. I just, in fact, on my own podcast, I had a conversation with one of my guests, Evan Ginsberg, and he was saying how true that is. It's like, People like to cynically say, especially, you know, if, if they're defending Vince, well, all businesses are run this way. All CEOs are like this. And here's the thing. 
That's not true. No. <laughs> you could be as cynical as you want. And there have been some winners. Okay, we know that. There have been the Harvey Weinsteins and people like that. But for the most part, what goes on in the world of wrestling, and I'm not saying these other people are angels, but what goes on in the world of wrestling is in a class by itself. And Vince McMahon would make the average corporate CEO look like Mr. Rogers. And and he's benefited and, and WD's benefited from that for, you know, the, the the same thing that Vince McMahon has fought against his whole career, which is uh, kind of the stigma of pro wrestling being low class, not being taken seriously, is what has allowed him to to run it for so long is that they do kind of like fly under the radar and they're not I mean, one tiny example, right? Imagine um, somebody in any other uh, a line of work in, in media and show business using the N-word on TV as a goof, <laughs> as, as right. a joke, right? I mean, I forget who it was relatively recently, but 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 there was like a live mic somewhere. Was it a, a, a football team? I'm sorry, I, I don't remember the details, but, but somebody was caught in the live mic uh, referencing like uh, some interns that were just brought in and how they were attractive, like, oh, you know, I'd like to see more of that. Something like that. And it's like fired, fired, beyond fired, you know, for for that. Mm -hmm. And you think of the, the stuff that this man has scripted himself to say on television. This and this done. isn't yeah, this isn't even like you, you you were caught behind the scenes. It's the stuff that he has put out there. Um, yeah. And it it's kind of anything goes because it, it's wrestling and it's Vince McMahon. And and that's what um, has let him survive this long. And, and um yeah, but it's 2022. I mean, if, if, if the dam was ever going to break, it's now. Well, two things I want to say about that is one is that I think they're in a bit of a bind right now. And I think Vince himself even is, because if I can just sort of try to extrapolate and sort of imagine what's going on behind the scenes, you know, I, I've always imagined that with a sale to for a sale to happen and for Vince to be on board with it, the understanding would have always been I'm still going to run it. You know, right. I'm, I'm cashing out, I'm selling, you know, I'm going to make my f future family set forever. Like you said, we're going to do this thing. We're going to, you know, relinquish the control, the ownership, but we're going to still run it. The McMahons will still run it, but now they're faced with the problem of now they've got the ball rolling. They've got the wheels turning on a sale and now it's looking like he may not be able to run it. So yeah. is, is he going to say, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't, I don't want to sell now. I, I changed my mind because I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Is it too late for that? How does that even work? Because I don't think he ever envisioned. I think he envisioned. He, I think he was eventually envisioned selling. I don't think, like you said, he ever envisioned um, not running it at all. And now I don't know if this, this is a whole other topic, but it's related now with the new announcement yesterday. I don't think this is a coincidence um, the, of WWE going back to TV 14. Have you seen yeah, that? I, I saw something about that. Yes. Now this comes out now who now who, with Vince still, as we know, in charge of creative, even on an official level, could this be seen as another, you know, raging against the machine kind of thing of like, I'm going to double down now. Now, now my TV product is going to go back to being raunchy and adults only. And, and, and we're going to just double down on all the stuff that, you know, you think I've done or, or the, the way I operate. And we're going to just put it in your face. Like, you know, that, that feels like that could be a Vince McMahon, uh, a classic Vince McMahon move as well. And it also will not end well, if that's what it's planned to be. Yeah. From a, from a timing, uh, uh, standpoint, it, it's so strange. Um, 
Because right. you, would, you would think they would go to like G, you know? Sure, right. I mean, if, if the idea is to like court the Disney's of the world, um, you'd think they'd be moving the other direction. You know, that said, I'm, I'm sure they look back on, well, when were we doing our best business? And they, they go to the attitude error and think, well, you know, let, let's do that again. Um, but yeah, it, 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 one of the things that's so kind of fascinating and, and ironic uh, about all this is, um, the, the kind of like Frankenstein's monster component of this, that, that Vince McMahon is sort of being like eaten by the, his own creation. And um, that he has uh, uh, done so much over the last several years or tried so much to kind of legitimize WWE is what sort of opened the door for, for his downfall potentially, because um, again, like this stuff doesn't fly in, in a legitimate corporation. And I think back to a couple of years ago when they, they brought in uh, uh, Nick Khan, who was this outsider, you know, didn't no involvement in, in wrestling at all. And then like the wrestling purists and traditionalists, that's always kind of, you know, rub them uh, the wrong way. Like, oh, you know, we, we need wrestling people to run a wrestling company. W- what does a guy like Nick Khan uh, know? And, and now um, Nick Khan might be WWE's saving grace, right? I mean, he, he is like the, uh, the, the legitimate uh, uh, guy who uh, has has helped them financially a lot? I mean, they, they they've done record profits the last couple of years, even if as their TV ratings have dropped, and and a lot of that is the the wheeling and dealing that uh, Nick has done, and uh, it's I, I think he's also kind of shaken WWE out of some some bad habits that are are again sort of ingrained in what they were. I mean, one. One small thing is like pay-per-views on Sunday nights, which never really made a whole lot of sense. And it was like, why are, why are there pay-per-views on Sunday nights? Said, well, that's just because it, that's that's pay-per-view night is Sunday night. And uh, Nick Khan comes in and you start doing them Saturday nights where kids could stay up later and, and parents don't have to go to work. And it's all kind of like put things in place. It, it, it's sort of been setting up for life after the McMahons. Um, and... Uh, is is that direct the direction you, you see this going? I mean, is 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 and and again going back to the PWI poll, that question about the the, the most influential person uh, in wrestling. You know, not to give away spoilers, but um, Nick Khan is 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 right up there, and and it's a name that a couple of years ago we didn't even know. That's true, and I, I think he does. Uh, I'm not an expert on his career, but I think he does have some wrestling connections. Like I know he. He's good friends with The Rock going back like right. many years. I don't I don't know exactly how. Wasn't he isn't he involved in the production of Rock's the show? The 7 Bucks. Uh yeah, I feel like that's right. right. Like that there's some connection there. Yeah, and he's known him even I think he knew him even before he was in wrestling. Like like he he knows him. So there is something there. But yeah, I mean, he's the someone like him, him or someone like him is the face of what the future of the company holds, I think. And I don't know if it's like he, you know, in the same way that years ago there was Stu Snyder who was installed in order to create the WCW buyout and take over and orchestrate all that. And then, and then he left and that was his only role there. So I'm wondering like if Nick Khan, if this will be like, if this is his main job is to facilitate and create the sale and then he leaves and he's on to something else, or if he's thinking about something beyond that and being the person who is, you know, in charge down the road, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of inclined to believe it might be the former. I think he's yeah. thinking, this is my legacy, that I orchestrated the sale of WWE, and then I'm on to my next corporate challenge somewhere else. Because, again, it it, it speaks to how different wrestling, and in particular, um, WWE and and the McMahon family, is from almost anything else. I mean, you're talking about one family that has run this uh, empire and if you go back to his great grandfather, what is it, close to a hundred years now, uh, right? And and it it's just always been uh, the McMahons, um, and it's hard to think of anybody else who would be that invested in it, right? I mean, like you you do a gig for a few years and you move on to whatever uh, the next thing is. Um, that said, I, I you know. Do, let me ask you, do, do you think Nikon has been good for, for WWE? And I know that's kind of a real broad question, uh, but I do think that it has been good to bring some of those uh, outside the bubble sensibilities um, to WWE. There's been some bad, too. I think about, you know, a zombie lumberjack match, and I think that had some some Nikon uh, behind it, too, in terms of some of these like partnerships with with. Uh, uh, other media organizations, that kind of thing. Uh, but but has he been a net positive? Well, you know, it, he's actually not the Nick Con, the Nick Con phenomenon. It's not really a new thing. I mean, WWE ever since they went public. There's been this gradual kind of corporatization going on. Even when I was there, there were people like Nick Khan that were mm-hmm. starting to kind of come into play. There was Kurt Schneider, who was the head of marketing, who someday is going to be a book written about all these people who did so much to change the marketing strategies of WWE. There was Stu Snyder, like I mentioned, uh, who was the president for a time and orchestrated a lot of their takeovers and buyouts. There, there's been people like that who, who have uh, – who've made their mark, you know, and, and he's the latest one, you know, uh, I, I feel like definitely you could see he's been the most consequential. And I don't know if part of that is because now that Vince is getting older and, and it's sort of thinking about succession and what comes next and what happens next, that somebody like a Nick Khan is able to maybe have a little more influence and power than some of his predecessors did. But, I mean, it depends on what you mean by good. I mean, uh, for the future of the business existing, (laughs) I would say probably good. Uh, You know, for fans of the way it used to be, not good. You know, but that's that's what happens. That's how things change and grow and evolve. Yeah, I I get I think of of a lot of things that are just sort of unique to wrestling that um, you, you take for granted. And I think it it's not a bad thing to kind of like shake some of that loose. I mean, one thing that whenever I'm having a conversation with somebody who's not a wrestling fan and um, this comes up, uh, they're always like so shocked to hear that like wrestlers have to rent their own cars and pay for their own hotel rooms. Uh, it, it's so wacky. And I don't know if there there's another um, uh, business like that. I mean, when you're talking like millionaire multi-millionaire TV stars with action figures uh, on the store shelves and all that stuff. And like, uh, you know, you're, you're got to check into the holiday Inn or something that right with, with your, and maybe, and I, and, and honestly, I don't know how much this is happening compared to back in the day. And maybe some of this has already um, evolved, but it, 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 there's so much stuff that is just kind of like old school wrestling. And, and there's a, a, a charm to it that, that I think, um, you know, 
we wouldn't want to see go away the you know the the traditionalists but there's also st- i mean th- this is what's kept over the years things like you know y- unions forming in, in wrestling is that it's so kind of like steeped in in tradition and um m- maybe not a wouldn't be bad to, to shake some of that loose um but b- back on on this topic an- another thing that that i think is a big challenge um, for for WWE and, and moving forward is that uh, and, and this maybe goes back to what you're just talking about changing the um, the TV rating to, to 14 is that they have tried to put forward this kind of like um, family you know together forever all this stuff you know uh, uh, that it's a family product there, there's like a bit of morality uh, and their their work with charities and, and all the stuff and. Some of that overlaps, I think, into uh, uh, Linda McMahon and uh, her pursuit of, of, of uh, elected office over the years. And and um, in in the middle of that, there's, there just feels like a, a lot of hypocrisy with uh, just and, and again, allegations. None of this has been um, um, confirmed. And I'm, I'm sure um, he's got his view of it. But uh, it, suffice to say, that doesn't reconcile with with these stories you know that this uh th- these allegations paint a picture of uh really seedy uh behavior in in what is put out there as a family-run business yeah and even when i was there there was always there was always a kind of um uh directive and i would get it from shane and it would come from the top in everything we did, and it sounds wonderful on the surface, but in everything we did, we always had to make sure there was this obsessive, you know, make sure we're thanking the fans. You have to put in the message, you know, in every program and every this and every that. We thank you, the fans. We'd be nothing without the fans. And thank you for this and thank you for that. And uh, and again, you know, this is me and maybe some will disagree. It always came off as such a disingenuous thing. Mm-hmm. It, it came off as kiss just just ass kissing and that is be you know look that's the that's the corporate philosophy in a lot of things today we see it more than ever corporations bending over backwards to kiss the behinds of the consumer and 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 somehow make them feel empowered when really the game is just all about taking their money so i mean i don't know if that's just the cynical side of me but there was always that directive like make sure make sure we're always thanking them you have to always be thanking them you know uh, that was always something that that we we had to do, but um, yeah, there is there is definitely another side to all this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, one of the reasons I, I even thought of that is because uh, uh, Linda McMahon has been uh, vocal on social media uh, as of late. Um, you know, without getting into uh, details here on on some political news of the day and uh, oh, uh, out yes. there kind of like uh, holier than thou stuff. And um, lest we forget, she is married to Vince McMahon. They are a married. And now I'm not naive right. about what that, that relationship is. Um, but uh, meanwhile, this is all going on. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and I believe even uh, and, and I'll always say so much here, but, but I haven't heard a lot of refuting that at the very least, there were some kind of was some kind of sexual relationship between Vince McMahon and these women, or or, or some women outside of his marriage. Uh, and again, I'm not naive, but you know, keep on tweeting your your holier than thou stuff with while, while all this is going on at home. <laughs> 
Yeah, there with without referring directly, I know what you mean, but yeah, there were a lot of very interesting quote tweets of that tweet, and and I have to say one of them was from me as well. Oh yes, it's right. I remember um, saying that. Yeah, yeah, it 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 is crazy how some people get emboldened in moments like this to really sh- take the mask off and 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 show who they really are. But but the Vince thing is, uh, I I have to say I. No one, no one has said this maybe per se, but like the other part of it, I'm not saying that I admire him. I don't, but the man is 77 years old and I'm wondering how in the name of God is he even still doing all of this? (laughs) My dad could hardly get up out of a chair and he's the same age as Vince. God bless you, dad. I love you. But how is this even still happening? There's, uh, there might be some pharmaceutical uh, assistant. <laughs> I'm sorry to take. They advertise on a lot of podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he's listening to some of those podcasts <laughs> more than yeah. we think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, another uh, aspect of this that that I wanted to explore that that um, is is a little kind of troubling. Um, it came out of of something that I don't know if you follow uh, uh, kayfabe. Uh, what is the kayfabe headlines? I always forget. Kayfabe uh, news. Kayfabe news. Yeah, I love kayfabe. Yeah, they're like right. the onion of wrestling. I love. Them. Fantastic, right? That's um, a Colin Hunter, a friend of, of PWI, used to um, uh, contribute stuff to us. I've had him on the podcast. Super funny, super smart. Um, you know, he, he he operates on a level that that most don't. I mean, it, it, the satire is is usually dead dead on. But he posted something. Uh, I pulled it up so I would make sure that that I would uh, quote it uh, uh, properly. And and the headline was um, non-shocking allegations imply Vince McMahon <laughs> is exactly the person we always assumed him to be, uh, which I got a kick of, out of. And, and he put it up and there was a lot of laughs. And then somebody on Facebook responded something to the effect of, um, you know, this is it's this kind of like dismissive attitude that has allowed this to go on for for so long and i thought it was unfair and and, and um i i uh defended uh colin but it is kind of thing that that makes me think and and not anything to do with with uh uh colin's super funny headline that i, that I think is, is dead on but the idea of does the wrestling community uh as a whole you and i included pro wrestling illustrated is there any uh, uh, a bit of uh, uh, responsibility? Uh, does any of it fall on us that for for so long it was just like, yeah, that's Vince McMahon, and we've all kind of always known this, and 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 I don't think uh, any of us, certainly not most of us, uh, maybe the people in this inner inner circle uh, knew the extent of it. I think even now we don't know the extent of it. I mean, th- again, th- these latest allegations that. I came up in, in that story I only go back a, a few years. Um, but we, you know, it, it's fair to say that we, that his reputation was out there. We, you know, the, the Rita Chatterton story has been out there for 30 plus years. Um, is, uh, are, are, are we complicit uh, at all? I mean, is, is there, did, did we let, did we give him a pass for, for too long? Well, first of all, I want to I want st- to just say that arguing with a kayfabe uh, news headline <laughs> is like arguing with an onion headline. I mean, you, you have to understand it's it's intended as comedy and satire. I mean, that right. first things first. But um, you know what? Yeah, I, I think all of us have been guilty of it to a certain degree, myself included, of occasionally saying, well, that's just wrestling. You know, well, that's the yeah. way it is. That's the way the business is. Here's the thing. Um, 
I have been, there have been times, not this time, because this is a different kind of situation, but there have been times where I have kind of demonstrated amusement at this idea of like every couple of years, you get a wave of new fans or new people that are just like, they discover how dirty and corrupt and awful the wrestling business is. And, and it's like this whole cycle that starts over again, like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And, and for the people that have known since forever, sometimes it can be ironic. Uh, but, you know, then of course there's the whole bigger question and, and it's how, you know, so many people that let it go on or just sort of ignore it or, or are okay with it or make their peace with it. And, uh, how much of a part does that play? Because look, here's the thing. There are people like me and, and, and you and people that know many things. Uh, they know where the bodies are buried. They know things that have happened and they still follow this business. They still love this business. And I'll only speak for myself here that, you know, and, and a long time ago, I was a part of, a, of a, um, I was interviewed about the Chris Benoit situation not long after it happened. And one of the questions the interviewer asked me would be, it was something to the effect of, you know, could you still see yourself being a wrestling fan after this? And I said, absolutely, without, without hesitation. And the interviewer, who was like from mainstream media, you know, was just absolutely shocked and just befuddled and almost maybe a little disgusted. But I, I feel like, you know, a lot of people, myself over the years, we have made our peace with this business and, and it becomes a thing of like, well, you either can you either you're a fan or you're not a fan, or you can walk away from it. You can become a crusader, somebody who tries to do something about it, but then you can't really be a fan anymore. Cause how could you be a fan of something that's, that's more, that shows that kind of moral depravity, you know, this, it's a really deep question. And, and yeah. I think I, I, at, at some point, had to kind of make my peace with it. It's one of those things. Dave Meltzer has said this in the observer when he talks about when these scandals happen and everybody thinks that it's going to kill the business and everyone's going to stop watching. It's going to kill the ratings and it never does. And he always says, what he says is what it comes down to in the end is that people just want to watch wrestling. And, and I think that's a very simple way of, of saying what I'm trying to say is that at the end of the day, and this is the case in a lot of things, people that, you know, in music and movies and in the attempts to separate art from artists and that kind of thing, uh, it comes down to some people just just want to enjoy this thing and they build up walls in their mind in order to survive and still enjoy it. And I'm sure I've been guilty of that over the years for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And every once in a while, a story like this surfaces that does mm -hmm. make you feel kind of like uneasy about yes. even being a, a fan. Um, and 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 in part, I think, because it it's not uh, maybe this is an extreme case, but it's not the exception to the rule. I mean, Chris Benoit in, in a vacuum um, wouldn't affect my uh, my fandom uh, because obviously, I mean, the, the, the circumstances in that story were were so unique and, and bizarre. It's not like that stuff's happening all the time. But uh, Vince McMahon's behavior isn't that different from what we've seen in in wrestling uh alleged behavior i should say over you know we talked about this in the last episode this is very much wrestling you know um the, what we're hearing about vince mcmahon uh this this is this is not out of character 
um, for for somebody with power in in the wrestling business, certainly going back to the 70s and 80s uh, and 90s. And it does make you um, kind of feel dirty. You know, I, I remember I, I, I could never be um, uh, and I love movies. But I've always been uneasy about Woody Allen movies um, because of of some of the allegations uh, with him, which, for what it's worth, I don't think it even go nearly this far. Um, uh, and and you know, you talked about separating the the art from from the artist, and um, Michael Jackson's one. You know, I've, I love sure. Michael Jackson's music. You know, uh, they got a play on on Broadway that I'm looking forward um, to seeing. But the, absolutely, there's part of me that that knows that. And again. Never convicted of anything, but certainly the mountain of, of evidence uh, against him uh, over the years. And uh, it it's difficult, you know, and, and it's funny because the stuff that, that people often like ask you about, like, how could you be a wrestling fan is about like just kind of the seedy nature of, of the on air product and, and that it's fake and all this stuff. And and I don't have a problem with any of that. But every once in a while, some of these stories, I mean, I, I know it comes up putting together the PWI 500. And, and unfortunately, so often, like you're going through the names and then, then you come to a wrestler and he's got some horrific story, a bunch of allegations. Uh, and it's like, well, how do we deal with this? You know, th this guy is wrestling. He is successful. Um, but there are all these people who have come forward um, with with accusations of of whatever impropriety, and uh, un unfortunately, it's not that uncommon, right? Yeah, I have seen some people over the years that I've been friends with who were driven away by certain things. Like I had a friend who drew the line at the Ashley Mazzaro situation mm -hmm. when that came out, and and Vince, you know, kind of her claims in her affidavit that Vince told her to to cover it up and ignore it. And then of course she eventually took her own life. I mean, that was too much for him and he stopped, but people like him, my friend are the exception for sure. There's not a lot of people that are willing to do that. I mean, look, you, 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 you gave a great example of Woody Allen. I'm look, I'll, I'll be the first to say, I have always loved his movies. They have touched me. They have moved me. They've made me laugh They're They've been a big part of my childhood and informed my sense of humor, my way of looking at human nature, big influence on me. Um, so it's very difficult. And you know what? Maybe some people don't have a hard time. Maybe some people can just do an about face and say, Screw this. You know, I never want to look at this again and blah, blah. I, I'm not that kind of person. I have a very hard time in situations like that. I mean, first of all, we never know half the time what really happened, what didn't happen, what, you know, uh, what allegations are true, what aren't true. But it, it's extremely challenging. And I think everybody needs to have maybe their own personal line in the sand of what they consider too much to bear. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think at, at the, the very least, when it's discussed, when it comes up. You, you should call it out and and you should make it and 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 it doesn't necessarily mean boycott don't ever watch smackdown again um but but i think on the other kind of uh, a side of the coin there are people who absolutely will give a pass to this behavior you know um, oh there's, there's oh, they're filling the Vince McMahon, he could do it. and you know what maybe once upon a time i was that person too who you know uh who was just such a fanboy that i i remember um uh when i my college years, um, and I, I don't remember the context was I might have been writing something, I might have been helping. I think I was helping book guests for a wrestling radio show at the time, and we wanted to get uh, Phil Mushnick on, who was the you talk about a crusader, he was the the, the writer at, at the New York Post that mm -hmm. uh, was very critical uh, against WWE for, for a lot of the stuff, the steroid stuff, 
and uh, a lot of these scandals. And I remember like really um, sort of like seeing him as the enemy, right? Because he was coming after this thing that I loved, you know, and and I was going to defend wrestling and, and Vince McMahon WWE um, by, you know, by all means uh, uh, at the time. And uh, right, you grow up a little bit and, and you realize that, you know, Phil Mushik was doing important work. I mean, he, he was a whistleblower on a lot yes. of bad, in, uh, a lot of bad behavior. He was, and and uh, again, like I, I kind of I remember feeling that way too, like what you're talking about. And those people are still out there. They fill the arenas every week mm-hmm. on TV, as you can tell by the reaction he gets when he comes out, which might be shocking for some people, but not for people who know wrestling. I mean. We've seen people in politics in recent years who we cannot believe will come out on a stage and get a round of applause every time they do it, uh, even to this day, no matter what they do that's wrong. And I think Vince is definitely in that class, and and there are supporters who are going to support no matter what. Whether he did it or not almost is even irrelevant to them. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to kind of like uh, uh, close the loop on this, uh, again, these are allegations. Uh, right. I, I, I'd say – He'll have his day in court. But I don't know if it ever comes to that, but um, there will be an investigation and and hopefully whatever the truth is, uh, it comes out. And I think it, it's fair to say, if nothing else, um, there is no room for that behavior. Right. I mean, uh, of um, it, it just can't be uh, allowed. And um, I, I'd like to think that the people um, who have the power to, to make a change here. We'll, we'll realize that and we'll do the right thing. Um, uh, moving on to, to, to lighter stuff. Um, it, it's been a couple weeks in, since we've talked. Uh, Money in the Bank was a few weeks ago. Money in the Bank, always kind of a, a fascinating uh, uh, event in that uh, historically more than, than, you know, the Royal Rumble or, or WrestleMania or, or, mo- or, or any championship, it is where you see at its best, um, wrestlers elevated because the idea, you know, is that somebody gets an opportunity to be elevated into that world title scene who normally wouldn't find themselves in that picture and, and very often uh, wins the title. And uh, we saw it um, that night with with Liv Morgan, who went on to win the title uh, that night, and uh, Austin Theory, the, the the surprise eighth entrant, whatever he was, uh, who won um, the briefcase on on his side. Uh, parallels there, right, to kind of newer faces, younger stars that clearly uh, WWE sees a lot in, uh, kind of on the fast track. Uh, what do you think about uh, either, both of those? Were they the right pick to be elevated? And um, d- do they belong? I mean, are, are they ready for this next step? I think, uh, you know, I did not think this was such a great show, honestly. And um, I think maybe it's because they've been doing such good ones lately. It it just fell short for me and it almost had me questioning the entire concept of money in the bank going forward. Like, okay, it's been it's been a good 12 years and 15 if you include before the pay-per-view and just the history of the match itself. Maybe it's time to sort of give this a break. That's the impression I was getting. And like, you know, if if we look at the winners, here's the here's the problem. Let's look at both of them. I didn't have a problem with the winner of the women's match. I thought Liv Morgan's actually a great choice to elevate to that spot. It was the execution. And, and I was public, you know, I was vocal about this at the, that night. I feel like this is a kind of lazy booking that has become the norm thanks to money in the bank. 
over the last 12 years. And it's become something we don't really question anymore. But it's so problematic for me when you're trying to get somebody over because if you look at the way she cashed in, you know, she what she did there was the behavior of a heel. Yeah. You know, it was Seth Rollins cashing in uh, at WrestleMania kind of a thing. And and that's fine for a heel. You know, I'm a, that's fine. But to do it like that. And again, is that is the type of booking that this briefcase thing has kind of generated because, you know, we've seen people like Cena did it once in the past as a baby face where, you know, he did it in the baby face fashion where he's like, I'm going to face you like a man. I'm not going to surprise you. I, you know, I'm going to, this is when I want it on such and such a date, yeah. such and such a place. But Rob Van Dam did that. Too. Yeah. And, and I and feel like go over as well in a perfect yeah. world. I feel like that should have been the original concept. But the, but the cat's out of the bag, and when you have a booking situation where heels are doing it and faces aren't, then it raises the question of, like, are the faces dumb? Like, why are they making that choice uh, to handicap themselves, to not take advantage? When, you know, I remember things as a kid like, uh, you know, Kerry Von Erich challenging Ric Flair for the, for the world title in a cage, and the referee is Michael Hayes, referee turns heel and lays out flair and and is telling Kerry to get on top of him and and get the win and and Kerry won't do it because it's the wrong way to win and it's not you know he doesn't want to win that way he wants to prove he's the better man and things like money in the bank ha have made that booking style so antiquated because now it's like well yeah why wouldn't you take advantage of a weak opponent and it's just i i, I don't know it's like that that to me is not babyface behavior and then the most baffling part of it all is they have Rhonda now who's been defeated in this sort of like cheap way when she's exhausted. She gets up and congratulates Liv and gives her oh, a I think hug. that's why, because it, it's such heelish behavior that it almost needs um, <laughs> Rhonda, the babyface, to kind of give it its blessing and say, no, no, I'm okay with this. I know. Well, that's probably why, but you almost, yeah. if you're thinking logically, huge mistake when you're watching WWE, yeah. but <laughs> shouldn't she be pissed as hell sure, and, out, and outraged yeah. i got robbed like because she hardly ever loses to anyone you know i just thought that was a bad way to kick things off for her and fine maybe i'm in the minority in that i don't know maybe i'm out of touch it just seems like the wrong way to do it and with theory uh the problem with him is god knows why they did it the way they chose to do it just inserting him at the last minute i mean i get it they're trying to give him heat and and make him uh, so hated and everything, you know, he didn't earn a spot in the match and Vince put him there out of favoritism. But I just feel like sometimes you walk that line of where the booking, the heat booking hurts the guy. And, and, it, and so in this case, it makes him look just, I don't think it gives him the kind of heat they want him to have. And I think the other problem with that is the other problem with that is that does anybody actually think he's going to beat Roman Reigns? Yeah, I mean, it's a big problem. <laughs> you want yeah. to talk about a or Brock Lesnar? Yeah, right. This is a lame duck. Unless he's going to hold it for you know and wait till they lose it. But it's like at least have somebody win that fans think has a chance of winning the match. You know? Yeah, it, it it's one of uh, it's kind of a blessing and a curse of Roman Reigns being so strong is that everybody else seems like um, such a sort of so far away from the, the the title, you know, short of of uh, a Cody Rhodes or somebody who has really established themselves as, and, and I don't even know if the list is longer than that. I mean, we've talked about Cody Rhodes, um, 
The Rock, you know, maybe Brock Lesnar is in that conversation of who else could be um, a world title holder. Maybe they see theory that way. Maybe he gets like that, that uh, the rocket uh, strapped his back. Uh, I don't see it. Um, but, but going back to your other point about how problematic the money in the bank is, and, and it, it's true. I mean, it, it is, um, it, it's cheating <laughs> in, in a way, right? I mean, uh, and, and it's fine when you think of, of, of like uh, Edge and Miz and people who really made their career off of that briefcase, it fit the, them uh, because they were heels. It's always been a problem for, for baby faces. You think of Big E last year, this inspirational uh, championship win that he cashed in on a hobbled Bobby Lashley. Uh, right. it, it's it's always uh, really problematic. I think the point they would make, and maybe they they need to do a better job of making this point, is I don't, I don't know if you're a Survivor fan, but um, you know, in, in Survivor, if you do the work of uh, of finding an, a, a a hidden you know immunity idol or something, um, you can get an advantage, right? And uh, it, it's sort of the same way, right? It, 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 it's a shortcut. It is a head start. But the point is you put in the work to earn that head start. So I think th- they would or they should argue that winning a Money in the Bank match is one of the hardest things you can do in all of wrestling. And if you can pull that off, yes, you get a head start. You get this uh, advantage. And it kind of levels the playing field because you earned this, right? It, you didn't just earn a title shot you earned a big advantage over a reigning champion. Yeah, and that's certainly never been articulated because the way it comes across now, it's so low rent to me. And maybe, you know, in the early years, it was a novelty. It was very exciting. Oh, my God, what's, you know, when is it going to happen? But it it just feels so chintzy. Like, like I look at it from the point of view of one of those things you try to explain to someone who's maybe not a wrestling fan, and they're like— how the hell is this guy allowed to do this? This person's <laughs> exhausted and somebody could just walk in and say, yeah, I want a match right now. And then they win it and the crowd is cheering. Like what? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I don't, you know, I, I don't, I know I love old school wrestling. I don't, I'm not always the person on here who's just railing against modern wrestling. I'm definitely not, but I just don't like that booking philosophy. It stretches any kind of suspension of disbelief, like why would any organization allow somebody to do this, to just run in the ring and, and someone's like half dead and you pin them like, wow, that's a great accomplishment. You know, it, it it's just, uh, it's worn out. It's welcome, at least with me in a big, big way. I feel especially, especially with baby faces because they get off on the wrong foot. It's like, well, what kind of a champion are you? You beat somebody who is half dead. You're not, you don't deserve this belt. I don't care what ladder match you won (laughs) six months ago. You don't deserve this. I I, I largely agree, but I also think um, that there are, and and I'm right with you in terms of, of um, getting frustrated at things that just don't make sense, but there is this whole other category of things in wrestling that <laughs> makes sense in wrestling, right? You, you throw somebody into these, uh, you know, these ropes, these cables, and they bounce back toward you, right? <laughs> right. Um, uh, or um, even uh, a WWE steel cage matches, you know, the traditionalists always hated the escape the rules, escape the cage rules. I love it. That to me, that that's what a cage match is. And they'll always argue, well, it's so, you know, you're, you're rewarding the coward. And I always think, no, this is fun. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> right. it's, you know, the suspense of, of a guy trying to climb out of a cage or get to the door. 
uh, is a blast. And, and I know, think Money in the Bank is kind of graduated to that, that it's like, yeah. well, it's just fun, you know. And, but I, I'm with you 100%. And I do think they could be more thoughtful in how they execute it, especially if there's a baby face. But when we have seen baby faces uh, win it and do the honorable thing, it's anticlimactic when somebody calls the shot. You know, the, the exciting, I was just watching back a, a YouTube video of like the, the, the most famous cash-ins and uh, none of them were, you know, they did they call it a shot ahead of time it i remember being maybe you were there too the night out of, after wrestlemania uh the first to win in metlife stadium where dolph ziggler cashed in and dolph ziggler was like a, a mid-card act at the time and uh, he cashes in uh, on on alberto del rio and those fans at the Meadowlands exploded dolph ziggler never got a pop like that and and it was because he cashed in it's just, it, it's one of the highlights of um of the the calendar for wrestling fans so much so that that i i think they kind of blow it too soon you start with Liv morgan cat they've been doing this more and more cashing in uh the same night i think it takes something away but it is a guaranteed pop always yes you know that's true you're never gonna get the same like in the moment pop as you can from a shock like that uh but you know it, it's it's sort of like uh, it's become accepted, like you said. It's one of those things that we just uh, sort of go along with. I think it's it's amusing. It's worth noting that with the steel cage, the reason they they changed it around and eventually came up with the escape the cage rules originally was so that somebody could lose the match without having to get pinned. I mean, that was right. like part of the booking strategy behind it. But no one even remembers that anymore because now, it, like you said, it is. It's very exciting. And the, those last-minute cash-ins, yeah, they're very exciting. But, I mean, you know what? With and again, armchair booking is not my thing, but with a little bit of planning and thinking, I think you're never going to get the big shocking pop of the cash in, but there are ways to do fun and interesting things, even with, uh, you know, calling your shot ahead of time. Let's say you have a big match where, you know, someone's going to get a title shot at WrestleMania and it's been signed and delivered and that's the match. And then somebody wins money in the bank and says, no, you know what? I want that shot. You're out. And then he takes their spot. Like then you've got drama there. You could build yeah. something off that. You could do something with it without having the cheap last minute cash in. Or, or at the very least, back to to Liv Morgan's example, don't have a baby face cash in on a vulnerable baby face, right? I mean, um, if at the very least it is a despicable heel and the baby face cashes in, then then you could tell the story of, well, this person just got their comeuppance. They they well, deserved it. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. What I come across with this whenever it happens and I and I and I yell at the clouds and all that, and then people argue <laughs> with me online. He, here's the thing. It's like uh, WWE and with money in the bank booking and with a lot of their booking with the attitude era and post attitude era, they've created this expectation among fans. You know, it's the post Stone Cold thing where Everybody should be ruthless. Everybody's only right. looking out Shades for of themselves. Gray, everything, yeah. Right. Everyone is always looking out for themselves. And if you are doing the honorable thing, you're a sucker, you're mm -hmm. a coward. And that, so that's the arguments I get in return of like, people will say, well, why would anybody, why would anybody wait? Why, why wouldn't she cash in on a vulnerable person? And that's how you win a belt. And I'm going, oh yes, that is, that's how life works. Right. But that's not how, how booking a good guy and a bad guy works. Like that's. 
that's not you, you know you're writing a story and you're thinking well how does a good guy behave and how does a bad guy behave and again like i'll bring up things like the Kerry von eric michael hayes thing where you know you you used to have baby faces that would flat out say i, I don't want to win that way I, i'm not going to take the cheap way out i want to i want right. i want to prove i'm better i want to do the honorable thing and fans were conditioned to appreciate that you know and and now they have been programmed to worship you know this kind of underhanded uh sneaky behavior as being totally okay yeah can you imagine a, a ricky steamboat or a, or a carry right. on eric you know cashing in on, on a wounded uh champion it, it, it's a a big problem i i think uh again the live morgan um situation is even more problematic not just because they're they're both baby faces because but because Ronda is kind of a weak baby face, right? Um, and y- you're you're kind of hurting her even more when when you have a baby face cash in on her and everybody pops. Uh, it's just it, it's got to be kind of demoralizing um, for Ronda, and, and that's the last thing you need. Uh, but anyhow, uh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed the money back. It's, it's fun. Um, curious to see where where they go from it. Uh, but yeah, I got a lot of the same problems that you have. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let, let's wrap it here, up it up here. Um, uh, we we mentioned the book. Uh, uh, why don't you give another quick uh, plug to it uh, so people know where to get it? Sure. The book is called Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik. And it is the first biography of the original Sheik, Ed Farhat. And you can get the physical copy, the digital copy, or the audio version of the book. You can get them all on Amazon.com. Um, there, you know, Barnes and Noble's got them. I've seen them in Barnes and Noble stores and places like that. But I know the most places where people get books today is Amazon. It's fully available there. So uh, that's where you go. Okay. Brian, thank you so much. We'll do it again soon. Uh, Everybody, uh, we'll be back before long. Take care.